my cup. Hey everyone, welcome to Kill Me Now with Judy Gold. I'm your host, Judy Gold, and this week we have part two of my conversation with the very talented, very original Ashley Ray, which I recorded this summer, and um, yeah, she's, she's pretty damn amazing. I hope you enjoyed part one. I... Uh, just got back from Florida, where I had a fantastic show at the Sunshine Cathedral for the Performing Arts, and what a great crowd! And uh, very diverse too. It wasn't. It was lesbos and and gay men and straight people, and it was really. It just feels so good to laugh. It feels so good to laugh. And to get, you know, just get together and for an hour and a half, just like not think about all the shit that's going on in this world, which is a lot of shit. But what was fun was Sunday, I went to a brunch for alumni of a wider bridge who went on, uh, you know, the mission I went on this summer, the LGBTQ plus mission I went on in Israel this summer. And it was... I mean, of course, all we could talk about was what's going on in Israel right now, but it was so nice to be around Jews and gays and gay Jews and Jewish gays. No, it was just, it was really wonderful. So, um, and you know, we talked, we talked a lot about how hard it is, how hard it is that when you talk about this topic, it, you know, someone's always going to be angry. But the thing that I really want to say is that I never realized there were so many experts on the Middle East crisis because a couple of weeks ago, they all came out of the closet because these people know the entire history and what they're protesting. So that's great that everyone's done their due diligence. Really, people, read about the conflict. Do your homework. It's not that hard. It's not that hard. And then form your opinion. But do the due diligence. Because this is ridiculous. The misinformation that is being spread. I just want to also say the... Feminists who don't speak up about women being raped, uh, all the feminist organizations who don't speak up about what Hamas did to these women and babies, and the LGBTQ community that QIA plus uh, that is protesting, I'm talking about anti-Israel and and saying pro-Hamas things. You can criticize Israel and their government, just like you can criticize our country and their government. But if you're LGBTQ and you're pro-Hamas, which a lot of them are saying Hamas is resistance fight. Hamas, uh, they're a bunch of terrorists. Go, please go be my guest and go be gay under the Hamas regime, under the, in Gaza. Go be gay, have fun and enjoy. Nobody wants innocent lives lost. I think we can all agree on that. 
But I have to say Israel does have a right to defend itself in this horrible situation. And I, I just, you know, I wish people would just do their homework and stop and and stop scrolling and watching all this shit. It's not good for you. Take a fucking break, even though it's all I can think about. But anyway, so I had a lot of fun in Fort Lauderdale. I went to this place called 9F, which I've been to before. It's a bar and it's owned by two women and it's just lovely. So Carol and Nancy and... uh Yeah. So wait. Oh, so let me tell you about all the stuff that's going on. So this Saturday, I'm at Soul Drills inside Sunnybrook in Pottstown, Pennsylvania. Pottstown, Pennsylvania, where the book, The Heaven and Earth Grocery Store, which I read uh, a month or two ago, that book by by, um, James McBride takes place there. So I'm so excited to go. That's on Sunday, uh, Saturday night, the 1028. And the amazing Liz Glazer is opening for me. It's going to be a such a great, great show. So that's the 28th of October. And then I am in, uh, I'm in Long Island on the 3rd of November. And then I'm at the Marcus Jewish Community Center of Atlanta, on November 11th, but on November 6th, people, at Gotham Comedy Club at 9.30 p.m., I'm doing a benefit for the National Coalition Against Censorship, and that is a star-studded event. It is going to be so amazing. I'm hosting. We have Mark Normand. We have Rich Voss. We have Adrian Iapolucci. We have Yamanika Saunders, we have Mateo Lane, it's going to be, and two other special guests that are very, very beloved and hilarious comedians. It's going to be a great event. That's a, a November 6th, Monday night, 9.30 p.m. I know it's late for some of you, but it's going to be a great show, and all 100% of the proceeds are going to the National Coalition Against Censorship. So that is that. Uh, what else do I have to tell you? I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I'm not looking forward to daylight savings time ending, and I'm not looking forward to my total knee replacement surgery on, on November 20th. But other than that, I'm lo- I look forward to hearing from you, and I'm so happy that you listen. And I hope you enjoy part two of my conversation with Ashley Ray. Sit back, relax, forget, forget your troubles. Come on, get happy. You can't forget about it. I know you can't. But just, you know. Focus on something else for a little bit and take good care of yourself and uh, sit back and relax and enjoy part two of my interview with Ashley Ray. You went into this advertising job and then, and you start doing stand up. You start doing open mics yeah, and you're working during the day. <laughs> and then you get, this totally reminded me of me because when I, I started doing stand-up in college, and then I got a job in advertising when I graduated, but I still went out and did stand-up at night because I didn't want to be one of the comics who was like, I have no money. Yeah, exactly. I I wanted health insurance because I'm a Jew. And uh, so I took care – you know, I did the job during the day, and I went out at night. And you then got a job at Google – yeah. <laughs> and you were working at Google and you'd have like these meetings and you'd go right out to do stand up in like a business suit. 
Yeah, I would truly go to Google 8 a.m., get there early so I could look like I was doing a lot of work and no one would notice when I left at four to get to an open mic sign up. Uh, And I would just work all day, leave immediately in whatever I was wearing, do stand up in like whatever for the first spot. Yeah, Banana Republic. And at that point in Chicago, there were so many mics and shows you could go to that I would hit an open mic, uh, go do like two or three showcases at different bars. Uh, And I was also freelance writing for the AV Club and Onion still at that point. So I would sometimes have like TV reviews or articles due by 1 a.m. Right. uh, Go home, write an article about like an episode of Insecure Blackish. Right. uh, Get some work done for my actual day job, like a client pitch deck or something. Go to sleep, wake up at 6 a.m., get ready and do it all again. Okay. Uh, So I want young comics to to listen to that. Okay. (laughs) And this is pre, I'm going to make a video of me taking a shit on the toilet. Yeah. And there's no toilet paper left on the roll. And then I become (laughs) a huge sensation. Sensation, yeah. And I book a comedy room and I don't know how to do stand-up. And I don't know how, yeah, this was... It was really that environment of, and I'm lucky. That, I think that's a good reason why I went to Chicago. I you can be kind of freer with the stand up because right. the, the stakes aren't it's the same. Good- You're not worried about industry. Uh, so I just did a lot of weird stuff. I would do weird. It was like, you were free. Yeah, I, you know, I would do weird character based stuff. I would do like presentation style comedy, just finding my voice and. Yeah, I, I love Chicago for that. Yeah, and you you want to be somewhere where you can take risks and not pay for them because, yeah. you know, so-and-so's in, in the audience and they don't want to see you again because they saw you do that set they didn't Yeah, like. in New York. I And also my Google job, they had me on a client that was in New York. So two weeks out of every month, they'd fly me to New York, let me stay in like a nice Google hotel. And while I was there, I would just go to as many open mics and shows as I could. I would like leave a client dinner and just go to like the cellar, go somewhere and go to a show, uh, go to, oh, what is that? The Lantern and just try to perform as much as I could. And then in the morning I would be right there back at the Chelsea Google office ready to do a presentation for E-Trade or something. You know, it's uh, it just reminds me, not that everything's about me. So uh, last night um, I went to a friend's birthday celebration and at someone I went to college with, I've known for 40 something years and I'm in Provincetown. And, and so he's visiting for the week for his birthday. And I went over and, um, and we were talking and he was saying, you missed everything. Like I had this group of friends and he said, you know, we would have a party, you'd come for five minutes and then go out and do sets all night. And he said, I remember um, that you missed every, like you missed so much stuff. Uh, and then we found a photo of New Year's Eve and it's everyone but me. And he said, oh, you know, yeah. when people say, you know, oh, she, you know, he, he always says, no, she, and I was just, you were just oh, reminding wow. me of me. <laughs> I would I work, mean- work, work. And then out all night. I, I was just thinking recently the last three New Year's Eves I've been on stage when the clock struck midnight. I've been doing shows every single one. You know, Ashley, <laughs> you're going to get to a point where you go, fuck New Year's Eve and you don't work on New Year's Eve. Now, it, I know it's good money, but it's a yeah. fucking hell gig. But guess what happened? My, my uh. lover, Elisa, her birthday's New Year's Eve. And since like 2009, I have not worked on New Year's Eve. I've celebrated uh, her birthday. Woo! 
That's okay. the dream. That, yeah. I can't say no to it. I, I did the store last good, year. And it, yeah. And I was yeah. like, oh, that'll be special. I'll start my year at the comedy store. Is so yeah. I was like, I'm not there all the time. Like, <laughs> Okay. I really want to talk in this last section of our interview about the fact that you, you really studied minority television and international television. I don't know if you know this about me, but I had a, an off-Broadway show uh, in 2000, I think, 12, called The Judy Show, My Life is a Sitcom. And it was about my addiction to sitcoms growing up and how I thought I'd be on one when I got older. But it was really about how those TV shows, like you said SNL and the comedians got you out of your space, headspace and, and gave you a coping mechanism. But those TV shows that I grew up with were actual members of my family, like in my head, yes. they were a huge part of my upbringing and how I grew up. And I have often thought about growing up. I, you know, I grew up, uh, we lived in Elizabeth, New Jersey until I was about almost six. Uh, and then we moved to a very racist uh, town because, uh, the town that we wanted to move in, the realtor told my father in so, so many words, um, you're a Jew, so you shouldn't come here. So we, we had like a, we lived in like an Italian Jewish neighborhood and they were very racist on the other side of town. And, and I, when I did this show, I would have talkbacks and people, and I thought, who's going to want to, who cares about that? And it was amazing how television and sitcoms affected people. The fact that that there's no representation. I mean, I know as a lesbian, you know, there was no representation. I hear now from comics who were like, I couldn't believe you were talking about your gay family and your kids when in the 90s, you know, like I, yeah. and that to me, but I just love that. Okay, first of all, with your research, Ethel, I did some research too that, you know, Ethel Waters was the first black person on TV. Although I do remember yeah. Moms Mabley when I was growing up. And she was the first black person to actually yeah. get a show. To get a show. And, to, you know, she, her performances, some of them were recorded and like used in certain things. So I, technically, I think she wasn't the first performance for television, but, you know, one of those technicalities. But right. You uh, focused on minority television and you went to Germany. Yeah. This is amazing. You went to Germany to study why certain TV shows resonated with German audiences. Why did you, <laughs> and we'll get to those shows in a second, but why yeah. did you pick Germany? Uh, so I mean, I had always been so inspired and moved by shows that had no representation for me. You know, I'm a bisexual black girl who grew up in the Midwest and I could connect with Golden Girls, King of Queens. You know, I, it didn't matter that no one looked like me. I could connect to these shows. And my favorite director when I was 16 uh, was Ingmar Bergman, who is this very dark Swedish director uh, who actually, he does do some comedy. And right. I was obsessed with him. And people would be like, why are you this black girl from the Midwest obsessed with this Swedish director? 
And I thought, I don't know, let me study it and figure out why. Right. So at Williams, I made my own major, basically. I applied for all Brilliant. these grants. Yeah, they gave me like $30,000 just to go anywhere to study this. Uh, and I wanted to go to Sweden, but I was also studying German language in college. So in order for my dual credits to work, because uh, I, I triple majored to get my German degree, I had to go to Germany instead Wait a of Sweden. Minute. Let's stop the podcast right now. You triple <laughs> majored? Yeah. <laughs> what the fuck is that? Uh, I didn't lose that competitive edge thing when oh, I went to college. <laughs> you triple. I could barely major. Okay. So it was German. Was it German? Uh, German language, uh, English with the focus on uh, minority television studies, and then German history with a focus on international media. Okay. What the fuck? And why why the obsession with Germany? As a Jew, so, I need to ask that question. Yeah, yeah, I get it. So I, it really wasn't going to be Germany. I grew up in northern Illinois where there's so many Swedish people, and right. I love Swedish culture, and I love Swedish food, and I wanted to learn Swedish. I love Ingmar Bergman. I go to college. They don't have Swedish. Right. I'm just like, that's what I want to learn, and they don't have it. And then someone was like, German is the closest thing. If right. you learn German, it'll be so easy to learn Swedish. So do you speak German? Yeah, now I'm conversational. I used to be fluent. Wow. Now I, can, I can like read it. I can have Scares like an order stuff. Yeah. <laughs> you should but study I, Yiddish. You could study yeah. Yiddish. Yeah, I can I can understand a lot of Yiddish. Uh, and I went, yeah, but I, I never ended up learning Swedish. I just right. got so stuck on the German. And I I got really into the history. My my biggest focus was on East German queer cinema. So, uh-huh. <laughs> uh, wow. which, yeah, which sounds so neat. Yeah, East German queer cinema is what really pulled me in and made me go, oh, this country I thought was so, you know, conservative, fascist, has this dark history. Right. It has had these little sparks of people who have tried to rebel and who have created art. Uh, and that that really became my focus. I love that. You yeah. also, I heard in an interview you did, and it made me so happy, you said that you felt similar to Greg Giraldo, who uh, went to Harvard yeah. Law School. He was a good friend of mine. Um, and and that sort of, you know, smarts and education pushed you uh, he uh, was, a little bit. He was, yeah. he was he was genius. He was my icon. I, I lo- thought he was so brilliant. brilliant. I wanted to, brilliant. to be His like son's doing stand-up. Ver- Oh my gosh. Yeah, I'm sorry. I, I love that. Cut you off. <laughs> I mean, I just wanted to be like the the female version of him. I thought uh, I would see him on oh God, crosstalk, crossfire, cross uh, uh, he was on uh, uh, Tough, Crowd, show. Tough, Tough Crowd. Tough Crowd. Tough Crowd, yeah. Uh, I, I would, hated being on that show with him. I used to go, Greg, yeah. I don't even want to be here to argue with you. Yeah. Um, and he, yeah. he was just always so on it. He like, that's what made me want to be in debate. I just thought he was amazing. He's another comic who's like jokes. I would steal in sixth grade and perform on stage. Uh, so yeah, I just, in my comedy thought, like I can be really clever about these things. You can be smart. I can study this, this other stuff for a moment in my life. I thought, Oh, I'm going to be a lawyer. I want to focus on true, like foreign journalism. I don't want to be funny. And I realized that was more of a burden I had placed on myself that I thought like as this black woman, it's my responsibility to take on changing the world and working for the innocent project. And that's like what will make my mom proud of me. And all I really wanted to do was like improv. I just wanted to like go join the state and like I'm going to introduce you to to Greg Jr. when you come to New York, please. Because, oh, he's the greatest. Um, Okay. But also the at the same sh- time, he, he dealt with like a lot of dark issues. And, yeah. you know, I had that drive and that 
need to be so competitive, I think did have some, you know, negative yeah. influences on my life. I struggled with a lot of depression when I started stand up. Uh, it, it was a lot. Yeah. Hey, everyone, you know, one of my favorite things in life, if not my most favorite thing in life, which, yeah, it's arguably my most favorite thing in life besides my kids and is food and eating. Eating is my favorite activity and eating is better and easier with Factor. Factor, I'm telling you, I tried their stuff. It is delicious. It is great. It is high quality and they are, when I say ready to eat meals, they're ready to eat in two minutes. They're not frozen. They're never frozen. They're chef crafted, dietitian approved, and literally you heat them for two minutes. Every week you have over 35 options to choose from. They have calorie smart, protein plus, keto. I just did chef's choice. 60 or more add-ons that you can stay fueled up. They had these juice shots that were incredible. These are restaurant quality meals that are ready to heat and eat when you are ready to eat. That's it. And they're really good. Elisa loved them too. There's no prep. There's no mess. I've tried a lot of these different kinds of meals. Factor is amazing and so convenient. It's so great to get home from a long day of like schlepping around and knowing you have this delicious meal waiting for you in the refrigerator that takes two minutes to heat up. And you can pause, you can reschedule your deliveries at any time. It is a great solution for those nights and days that you're looking for fast, great, delicious options with no cooking required. Okay? And factor is less expensive than takeout. So what are you going to do? Because I'm telling you, you have to believe me. I never lie. Factor is amazing. You're going to head to Factor Meals, F-A-C-T-O-R-M-E-A-L-S dot com slash Judy Gold 50, J-U-D-Y-G-O-L-D 50, five zero. Okay. Judy Gold 50. And use code J-U-D-Y-G-O-L-D five zero, Judy Gold 50 to get 50% off. That's code JudyGold50 at factormeals.com slash JudyGold50 and get 50% off. It's worth it. You're welcome. The TV shows, by the way, since everyone's wondering, that most uh, resonated with German audiences were How I Met Your Mother and Family Guy. And you said... <laughs> That Family Guy, they thought it was an accurate portrayal of Americans yes. and their po political belief. I mean, yeah, they didn't see it as like the satire we see. Right. You know, we know it's making fun of these sitcom tropes because they don't have those same tropes. They don't know, oh, you're making fun of the doofy dad with the hot wife. Right. They're just like, oh, this is the standard there. You know, <laughs> men are so right. big and kind of doofusy, and the women take care of everything in the house. Which, I mean, yeah, it's basically true. Uh, and they thought How I Met Your Mother, the Barney character, we see him as a gross sex pest, you know? Right. It's, 
He's disgusting. Over there, men had posters of him. He's like their Scarface. Oh my god! Over there, they're like he's the Uberman. She has the blue eyes. He's blonde. <laughs> he he gets all the women. And men there truly didn't realize like he's a character that we hate. Right. <laughs> like, he's right. there to be laughed at. They were just like, oh, I love Barney. I bought his book uh, when they did that like stupid Barney's Rules book. Yeah. It, men there were obsessed with Barney. It's crazy. You know, when I think back, I, I know that Amos and Andy was like uh, a big black television show at the time. But for me, I remember Julia. I was oh, yeah. I was a little girl and Julia was a nurse, a single mom and a nurse. And it was huge. I remember her on the cover of magazines and I loved that show. And she was beautiful and um I mean, I also remember, um, what's it called? Yeah. Uh, that was one of the shows that inspired me to pick that major because by the time I was in college, it was so hard to find it anywhere to watch. This right. was the like move to streaming and a lot of black shows weren't being included in that shift. So I truly, I, I think my professor had VHS copies she found in her basement that she like let me wow. borrow. The show. Uh, so yeah. I mean, that's the one black woman. I mean, also on To Serve With Love, there was a, a black teacher, I think. Yeah. I mean, this was, you know, here I am growing up and I see Julia. That gets canceled like two or three years in or something. And then good times. And yeah. good times, I mean, was the zeitgeist. Like him yeah. saying dynamite. And now he's like Mr. Right Wing. I don't know what the fuck happened to him, but yeah, um, I gotta ignore the what they're like yeah. today. But yeah, that's like the golden era of black TV, it's right? Like the first and, golden era, yeah. And there is this family, and they're living in the projects. And I, I, I love that show, and not because they lived in the projects, because they were a family that reminded me of my family. I love the youngest son. I love the sister. Yeah. I love, I mean, she was great as the mother. She was just the best mother. Love and Michael Ruffalo. Yeah. It was so, it was great. So then we have that. And then we have the Jeffersons, which is the complete opposite of good times. And it's, first of all, best theme song of any television show ever. We're moving yeah. on up. I, you um, know, I do like the Good Times theme song more. Yeah, it was good I too. Do, yeah, it's good. I just love how they hit that hanging in a child line. That's just oh. good times. See, you gotta hit it. Yes. <laughs> good times. Yeah. They yeah. we better they got them. Da 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 da. Good, good times. times. Like that's okay. a that's like a yeah, yeah gospel. And it would song, get you basically. so psyched, you're like, okay, yeah, good, like, go. Oh, we're watching good times. Yeah. How do you think the Jeffersons? I mean, they dealt with such racism, and then there was the the interracial couple, and then I know they they redid they did a live version of it recently over the pandemic, yeah. and they had to edit it. They had to. Yeah. Take out the N-word. I mean, it, it, you know, it you was a, yeah, people yeah. don't, I think, realize that at this time it is a golden era of TV. 
not of black television, which, you know, yeah, Norman Lear's a white man. But at the same time, he allowed these black comedy writers so much freedom they'd never had before to use the N word to address topics that people oh, were Norman like, Lear, oh, my God, yeah. that people were like, oh, my gosh, how could you say that on like all in the family? Uh, he allowed that to happen. He didn't really censor them and say, hey, you got to care about like black respectability politics. You want to make sure you're representing your people in the best way. No, it was about what's funny and what's real. Uh, And yeah, yeah, in the 90s, that wasn't really the same case. When you get the Cosbys, there is this concern of, well, you have to think about respectability politics. We don't want people to think black people just live in the projects. You don't want to be like a show like Good Times. It's more censored uh, and more, you know, for a white audience to feel like, oh, I'm learning about what black people are like versus this is just something that's going to make everyone laugh. Do you how do you think Norman Lear helped black representation on television? I mean, he basically created a lot of the original shows that that proved to people we can make popular shows that people will watch the shows that we are in that are about us, that we can't we don't need to be side characters, sidekicks. We can be the main character and get an audience. I think that's what you see with like Sanford and Son. Yeah. Uh, the Jefferson. Oh, we love the Sanford and Son. Love Sanford oh, my and God. Son. That was a great show. Uh, yeah. Another I mean, great theme is- song. Yeah, another one. Yeah. Yeah. And Uh, I think without those, we wouldn't see, you know, that was like the. (laughs) I'm sorry, you're making me. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) But that's how black TV writers, a lot of the, the big ones got in the door was that finally there were shows that needed black people. They needed a black person there to go, hey, is this really what a black person sounds like? Uh, You know, so. The Cosby show. First of all, I grew up with Bill Cosby. I grew up with the cartoon. I, you know, uh, I grew up with the Jello commercial. I grew up with him. I find him to be the most important human being ever. Yet a brilliant stand-up, but yeah. really disgusting. Do you think the fact, or do you believe that that show should never be on the air again? Because I felt like that was a big cultural moment, as you were just speaking about. Uh, that show where we had the lawyer and the doctor and, you know, yeah. what do you think the effect or do you think they should be able to, to people should be able to see that show because of. Yeah. It's it's difficult because obviously I believe that we need to maintain and hold on to as much of black TV as we can. It's so easy for this history to be lost. We've seen what's happened with other shows that like rock. It was amazing black show. You can't find it anywhere now. Right. And yes, he's a Cosby's horrible, but there are all these other people in the show uh, who have had such a wonderful impact on black culture that to just treat it like a complete, just black blank space and to erase it seems just harm more harmful. You know, I think we need to embrace the fact that it's the total history of it, which is the highs and the lows. I think we're smart enough people where we can watch the show or, you know, talk about separate the art from the the artist. And and also, you know, talk about its place in culture and also go and fuck Cosby. (laughs) Like there's room for both where we can be like, and at the end of the day though, you know, fuck him. Right. Yeah. He's disgusting, but this was such an important show. You're a television critic. You have done major television criticism. I have, first of all, when I've heard you speak about being a critic, you've, unlike most critics, 
you wanted to write in in celebration of television, not this sucks, this sucks, you know, like most white (laughs) critics. Um, You know, I want to just know you, you started as a TV critic, then you became a creative. And I want to know how being a creative person, someone who is performing changed the way you uh, wrote about television. Yeah, I, I really loved being a critic because I had such an appreciation and love for TV, but I always knew I wanted to write TV. I wanted to keep doing standup. So at a certain point when I was really doing a lot of standup and getting festivals, I had to, you know, tell my editors, I don't feel right, you know, critiquing a show that a comic I've done a show with writes on, or I'm not going to, you know, write, I'm not going to critique someone else's standup set. That's, you know, I'm I'm not going to do that unless it's someone like Tiffany Haddish, who's super famous and, you know, not like someone I'm going to run into. Right. Uh, So I started kind of, yeah, yeah. I started kind (laughs) of putting up those rules with myself because I understood that to be a creative, you have to pick a side. You have to, you can't really toe the line because mm-hmm. creatives do not like that. And so in 2020, I completely stopped doing TV criticism. I decided to only focus on reality TV from then out because uh, I got my first TV writing position then. I was really, I'd moved to LA and so many standups were like, oh, I think you're so funny. But, you know, I did read that AV Club review you wrote of a documentary I made eight years ago that like you didn't give a good right. grade. So I hate right. you forever. Right. Uh, and I was at a party and Quinta Brunson came up to me. We started talking and she's like, I think you're really funny. You know, I think you're so smart and I think you need to choose. <laughs> I think you need to pick. Yeah. Are you a creative or are you a critic? Because if you're a creative, you have to be over here with us. You have to be creating, putting your heart out in the world for other people to critique it. And right now you're hiding behind the critique and the creativity isn't out there. You know, we're engaging with your articles, your criticism. But at that point, you know, I probably only had a few stand up clips. You know, I hadn't done like a special. I don't have an album that people can, you know, right. sit and tear apart. <laughs> have so, you ever have you been have you read a critique of anything you've done? Uh, one thing about being a critic, especially for a place like the AV club is you learn pretty quickly. You don't have to read what people say about Right, you. right. I, I don't <laughs> like, read reviews. Yeah. Yeah. I don't read it. And in the AV club, I would get so many commenters who were like angry white guys who would just be like, I don't even like that the AV club is writing about blackish. And I, what happened to this site? Just writing about shows that matter like the Sopranos. Shut the so fuck up. Yeah. You, I was just so used to ignoring that, but you know, now I've have, a, I've way more sets up. I have a podcast that people yeah. rate me on constantly. Right. Uh, people, you know, talk about whether they like my jokes, my tweets, everything. Right. Uh, but I think, Honestly, I love that I came from being a critic because I just don't care. I don't have. Yeah, I'm like, I love. That I was too. a critic, you know. I know yeah. what they say isn't doesn't matter. <laughs> right. They're just some person making it up. You know, I love my liquid IV. That I drink liquid IV pretty much every day, and I love it because it keeps me hydrated. I travel with it because it's in little packets. It tastes great. It's an amazing product. It hydrates better than water alone, three times the electrolytes of the leading sports drinks, eight vitamins and nutrients, non-GMO, 
But here's the best part. You know, I've been bragging about Ben, my son, Ben, who plays basketball. His team, his entire team, they love Liquid IV. I mean, they are number four in the nation. They are an amazing team. They've done better than ever this year. Dare I say it's because of the Liquid IV? I'm not going to say for sure, but I'm telling you, these athletes love Liquid IV. They love all the flavors, strawberry, lemonade. I love the watermelon. I never give them any of my watermelon. They have sugar-free, white peach, green grape, lemon, lime. It makes you feel great. And if you need a little caffeine, the the, uh, lemon ginger is beyond, beyond. And I know they use it while they're working out. I'm pretty sure they might use it after a game that they won and went out and had, you know, a couple of drinky poos. But that being said, I love Liquid IV. They're a great sponsor. They're a great product. And I honestly couldn't live without them. And it's winter still. You need to be hydrated. Hydration is very important. So weekends are for going wild, as you all know. Have a game plan for Monday. That's what you need. I just had this conversation with Ben's girlfriend. I said, if you're going to go out and party, you need a game plan. And what's your game plan? Liquid IV. Weekends are for going wild. Have a game plan for Monday with Liquid IV. Grab your Liquid IV hydration multiplier sugar-free in bulk nationwide at Costco or get 20% off your first order when you go to liquidiv.com and use code JudyGold, J-U-D-Y-G-O-L-D, at checkout. That's 20% off your first order when you shop Superior Hydration today using promo code JudyGold, J-U-D-Y-G-O-L-D, at liquidiv.com. You're welcome! I want to know, do you think multicams will ever come back? Uh, the sitcoms we I grew up yeah. with. Um, do you think that genre will ever come back? I do. I do. Really? And there, yeah, there are some shows making it happen that have been... Wow. Some successful. Uh, so they brought back Night Court as a multi-cam. Yes, yes. And I love it. I think it, they're I think they're doing such a good job of it. It feels like a way to refresh the format. Uh, they did have Call Your Mother, which um, had Cares. Oh, I don't remember that lady's name, so I'm not even going to try. <laughs> but, right. you know, they've had some shows recently where I think networks are understanding, hey, people still want this kind of humor. People still, you know, watch this kind of television. Uh, we even see streamers doing it. Netflix, they've had a few shows yeah. now that are multi-cam. So I think it works and people want to do it. It just has to be good content. I, it has to really be a strong script. Uh, it has to be really strong comedy. Night Court is... And the characters, yeah. Yeah, the characters, really you know. Relatable, yeah. The new Night Court, they have so many jokes per second. It is... Right. They know how to do it, but I, I think... You know, in this day and age when everything is a dramedy. <laughs> yeah, uh, I know. Yeah, where it's like, that's not a com- it's not making that's making me cry. I know. And they call they call dramedies comedy. Like some of them they're like the comedy, and you're like, no. No, it's not, not a comedy. It's just a drama. It's just 30 minutes. Right. So yeah, I think and we have to get comedians on it. So yeah, no. and a comedians on it. Right. It's like, no, we have to get people back into TV shows with a lot of jokes. What do you uh, think? It's been a while. How do you feel this strike? going to affect uh, future the future of television and what gets made? Uh, I mean, I think it's going to change everything. This I don't think the studios were expecting a dual strike. 
Uh, I love that it happened. I wanted it to happen. I wanted all three. I wanted the directors to strike too. Yeah, I know. Uh, as much, you know, but I think they're going to lose a lot of programming. They're going to lose a lot of momentum on things. We're going to see a lot of cancellations. They're already ending people's overall deals, uh, which are so important to growing sort of mid-level voices and talent. Uh, a lot of those people are like minorities, like uh, Amy mm-hmm. and Ovi, who wrote for Insecure. She had an overall deal. Uh, so that's how you get more diversity in television. And all of that is going to be gone. I think we're going to start from a blank slate and it'll just be studios going, what do we do? What what right. needs to be made? What are people into? And there's mm-hmm. going to be a lot of scrambling uh, while they try to figure out how they get content back since everything's getting pushed by like a year and a right. half. Right. I wonder, yeah, I, if I should revisit things I've pitched um, where they're like, no, no. That's the history of my career. No, no, I'm sorry. No, that you know what? You're gay. Who cares? No, Jew, no. Okay. No. Um, <laughs> it's just yeah. Issa Rae sent you a thank you note. Yeah. Um, I love that. So did I. And it, so it's so. I know. I bet. Can you just talk about how that validated you as a. Yeah. As a critic, as a creative. And as a creative, you know, so many people told me you're going to have the hardest time going from being a critic to a creative. Like, no one's ever going to want to work with you. People, you know, will have a hard time. They're going to see you as a journalist. And to have someone that I look up to creatively reach out to me and say, hey, you always gave our show a fair shot. I loved what you had to say. I always wanted my show to be written about on a site like the AV Club, and you gave it the respect it deserved. Uh, To me, it just prove to me that like I have a love and deep understanding for television that isn't me just trying to, you know, be a hater and get clicks on an right. article where I'm tearing things down. Uh, but it really is true criticism to appreciate what is good in a show and also say, Hey, I question this choice. Uh, but it's all bundled, you know, in this, and just a love of the art, which I think now we're so afraid to have those conversations to speak that way. Because if you criticize anything, people are like, Oh, oh no, you please. hate all of it. Like, right. Oh no, you hate me. Oh no. And you're the devil you. and everyone has a soapbox now and they can yeah. all attack you personally. Yeah. And it's um, like, you have to be positive and like everything. And that just really validated me and the fact that there are I still love that. creative you, who aren't like that. Do you think that? It's okay. Like I've gotten people writing things or saying things about me that I'm like, oh my God, that's so nice. And then I'm like, oh, it's not appropriate. It's not appropriate. <laughs> but you, do you give me permission to say thank you to, yeah. I mean, do critics like that? I guess they do like that. Yeah. I always think of them as white men who are like, well, d- well, I don't know about the next time, you know, like, <laughs> I don't know. I just feel yeah. like if there's like this boundary you're not supposed to. I, yeah, I really respect the boundary. I, but I think that that's one of those old school things about me because I went to journalism camp. I'm all about sort of this like separate. Yeah. yeah, I'm a nerd because nowadays most critics are just like, oh no, the lead in that TV show. She's my best friend. Like I, we post together on our TikTok. Like why? And of course I'm doing the profile on her and reviewing her show because I'm her bestie and I'm going to give it five stars. Uh, So I think that (laughs) that's just like a difference for me uh, in this industry. Uh, Yeah. All right. Before I ask my last two questions, who's your favorite or who do you respect the most as a critic? Ooh. Oh, that's okay. I'm going to go with Emily Vanderwerf. Uh, She wrote for the AV Club for a long time. Mm -hmm. She left before I was there. 
uh, she was one of the critics that I read religiously. Like anything, wow. Emily, I, even if I didn't watch the show, I would read her criticism. And she was one of the people who really made me want to write. And I applied to be a critic at the AV Club. And when I applied, all I did was submit my entire senior thesis, uh, which was like over 100 pages. By the way, don't recommend applying for a job that way. Don't just submit (laughs) your entire senior thesis and go, don't I need this job? But I did that. And a few months later, Emily Post like did a article on Sanford and Son and the History of Black TV. Yeah. And when I got a job there, at some point I got to talk to her and she was like, yeah, you sent in that your thesis and that inspired me to write that. Oh, wow. And and I was just like, oh, my goodness, somebody actually read it and cared. Uh, I love that. She like writes for Vox now and a few other places, but mm-hmm. she was one of the people who, you know, when we disagreed on a show, she would say, let's have a panel and actually discuss our different points of view instead of feeling like it was an attack. So I always think of her work. Oh, that I love that. And I love that it's a woman. Okay. I, first of all, thank you for doing my podcast. You're, you're, you're just the greatest. And Thanks for hunting me. Always. I always ask my, my guests two questions. I think I know the answer to the one. The first one is what you do for your mental health. I know you took your Wellbutrin this morning. I took my Paxil last night. So is it, do you do anything else besides the meds or? Uh, I I smoke a lot of pot and Uh uh, I'm polyamorous. So I I date a lot and have a lot of sex, I guess. Oh, that's great. Mazel tov. Yeah. It's, it's pretty fun. Wow. I really yeah. don't have a lot of time for that. Okay. Um, and, okay, my, I call my podcast Kill Me Now because everything gets on my fucking nerves uh, to the point, like, it's not normal the amount, the reaction I have to things that annoy me. So what pisses you off and makes you fucking so mad crazy? Uh, right now, it is documentaries on Vice that make me feel old. They're doing a whole series <laughs> that's like the dark side of the 2000s. And they're talking about like oh, TRL God. with slow, dramatic music and voiceovers. Like it's a Ken's Burn documentary. Right. And I'm just like, that's not long ago. That's <laughs> right. stop it. Like, this is not old. <laughs> I know. What is that? I feel so old with these things. I'm like, that happened yesterday. Yesterday. That happened like, yesterday. They're truly just like dark side of the 2000s. Remember yeah. when Lindsay Lohan got in a car with Britney Spears and Paris Hilton? And I'm just like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's still it, a meme. And, it just yes, happened. Yes, and. What, yeah, it's what like about improv. It? Yeah. <laughs> and they're just like, well, it's so dark. And I'm just like, stop making me feel old. Stop yeah. stop, stop doing this, okay? You know it's what, Ashley? Yet. You don't know what it's like to feel old. Okay. Uh, Right. I mean, I go to, I just got back from just for laughs and it was like, they're all like 32. And I'm like, I'm like, how old's your mother? And their mothers are younger than me. And I'm like, I'm fucking, what the fuck? Uh, Okay. I'm I'm 32. I didn't get JFL this year. Oh God, I hate you. How old's your mom? Uh, She's 72 now. Okay. I love that. I love that. Yeah. Okay. She's she's an older mom. So, So, yeah, my mother was 41 when she had me. Oh, God, we have so much in common. Okay. Ashley, I can't thank you enough. You are a delight. I wish you only the best. And I really would love to get together. I know you don't, you're not a big fan of New York, but when you come to New York, I would love to get I, together. I love I coming for stand-up. I'm going to come this fall. My album will be out. I'm going to do a bunch oh, of shows. awesome. So, Name of album, please. Uh, ice Cream Money. Ice Cream Money. Woo! <laughs> okay. Uh, we will promote that. And... Thank you. I can't, I can't thank you enough. Thank you. You're welcome. 
Thank you so much for listening to part two of my conversation with Ashley Ray. This wonderful podcast, Kill Me Now, is produced by Laura Vogel, edited by Colin Schmeling, marketed, posted, everything to buy Brittany Joe Soward's Richmond. What else do I have to say? I, You know, I talked about all the gigs I'm out. This this Saturday, I'm in uh, Pottstown at Soldiers. Um, please buy tickets to the uh, show on November 6th at Gotham for the National Coalition Against Censorship. It's going to be an amazing show. Yeah, lots going on. Uh, I also wanted to recommend some books to you that I enjoyed. I, you know, Noah Tishby wrote a book about Israel called Israel, the Most Misunderstood State... Um, and let me look up the exact name of the book. It's 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 a really great book to learn. It's an easy way to you know. It's it's it is what it is. It's a simple guide, okay? A simple guide to the most misunderstood country on earth. Came out in 2021. It's a easy read and you will learn a lot. So why don't you buy that? It's Hanukkah's coming up. Buy that for your friends. Just read something. Um, I also love uh, Jews Don't Count by David Battiel. It, it's a really good book. It's very short. And it's it's um, it's really interesting. It's a quick read and it's an important read. And there's just so many books out there. Uh, and there's so many opinions. There's so many opinions. I get people writing to me all the time. You know, I love you, but you're wrong. And it's like, you know, I am what I am. I am what I am. And what I am, need, uh, I have, you know, I, I, I read a lot. I read a lot about this topic. And I have been to Israel multiple times. And I have formed my opinions uh, about the conflict on my history about my father served in World War II. I, I don't, you know, 2%. I mean, it's awful. The whole thing is awful. But you should ask yourself some questions, you know, before... I mean, people pulling down posters of American hostages that are held... Like, what the fuck is that? What what kind of act of disobedience is that? You know, and and blaming Jews, American Jews, for what happened over there. The anti-Semitism is 488% increase. I mean, it's ridiculous. And that's where my head is at. Do what you have to do, but the best thing to do is to learn and to listen, to learn and listen. Because whatever you're saying, what is that quote? Whatever you're saying, God, there's a quote that's basically whatever, when you talk, you already know what you're talking about. When you listen, you're learning something. So whatever. I, I, I just pray for peace. I pray for the Jewish people. I pray for the innocent innocent people who are caught in this. The innocent Palestinians are caught in this. I, Hamas is fucking shit and crap and duty and bullshit. And I am, you know, I, I believe Israel has, has a right to exist. But yeah, that is, that's how I feel. 
So do yourself a favor and read and, um, and then just go do nothing. And, and we got to take a break. It's really, I think it's really affecting people's mental health. I've talked to family members and they're just so down and depressed and I get it. It's like, I have a stomach ache all the time, but you got to take care of yourself. So I'm thinking about you and I, you know, if you're still listening, I'm just loving you more than anything in the entire world, as you know, but, um, yeah. So thank you. You are you are the best and come see me live and as we always say so long.